Hey, good morning, everyone. We're doing something different today, huh? We're going to do English or Spanish, Spanish or English, and Spanglish at the end, am I right? God is good with us. I see new faces I never met. I'm actually, my name is Carlos Ventura. I'm part of the Hispanic group. And I think God is good, am I right? God is great with us. I see new people here, so let's go. Uh, I was given the privilege to read, and I said, well, let's do both. Why not? All right? So the, uh, the, I'm going to start Spanish, so I'll do it in English at the end, okay? Nueva uh, Esperanza, ¿dónde está? Amen. That's the Spanish group that we actually worship God to also. I think it's the same God. It's one God, am I right? It's not different gods. It's just one God. And when we were worshiped earlier, you know, when they say, Holy Spirit, come and touch my heart, he did. Because he doesn't care what race we are. He doesn't care where you were born. What he cares is your heart. And then you say, God, I'm here for you. I'm here, God, just for you. Amen? Uh, let's go to the scripture because I'm not preaching. I'm just here to say hello. Okay? Uh, la lectura, la, la lectura es en Hecho capítulo 2, versículo 42-47. Se dedicaron a la enseñanza de los apóstoles y a la comunión y a la fracción del pan y de la oración. Todos estaban yendo de asombro ante las muchas maravillas y señales realizadas por los apóstoles. Todos los creyentes estaban juntos y tenían todo en común. Vendieron propiedades y posesiones para darles a cualquier que lo necesitara. Todos los días continuaban reuniéndose en los atrios del templo. Partían el pan en su casa y comían juntos con corazones alegres y sinceros. Alabando a Dios y disfrutando del favor de todo el pueblo. Y el Señor añadió diariamente su número a los que estaban siendo salvos. Palabra del Señor. Let's go. No, I'm kidding. No. All right. So let's do uh, the reading from Acts chapter 2, verse 42, 47. They devoted themselves to the apostle teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread and to the prayer. Everyone was filled with at the many words of science and performing by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold properties and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet, like we're doing. Together in the temple courts, they broke bread into their homes and eat together with glad and sincere hearts. Praise God, enjoy the favors of all the people, and the Lord added to their numbers daily those were being saved. The word of the Lord. Amen. Good morning. Thank you, Carlos. As, as, uh, as Carlos said, we, uh, as part of New Hope, we have a Spanish-speaking service led by Pastor Omar every Sunday at 2 o'clock. So be praying for them. Really awesome things are happening. Carlos is one of the elders there and leads worship. He's a pretty mean bass player as well. So hi, Omar. That's Omar right there. You want to wave? That's Pastor Omar. So grateful for uh, your investment in the, in the kingdom come here in Portland. Carlos uh, inspired me, so I'm going to preach the sermon once in Spanish, and once... <laughs> People are just like, oh boy, uh, it's long enough in English. I know what you're all thinking. <laughs> if, uh, so th this is kind of a, a, a thought exercise. 
Uh, one day when we're all hopefully with the Lord and, and dead and gone, far into the future, if historians are studying the first part of the 21st century in the Western Hemisphere, how might they sum it up? <laughs> yeah, don't say anything out loud, right? <laughs> how might they sum it up? Oh, I mean, there's a, a, there could be a lot of right answers, but I pondered that a good bit, and, and I've got a contender. I think they might sum it up. They thought they could go it alone. They thought they could go it alone. That's what we're gonna talk about today. I think that uh, that idea that we could go it alone comes from numerous sources. Uh, one is the philosophical world. If you're into that kind of world, kind of nerdy world, post-enlightenment, there was this huge shift in the philosophical world from communal belonging to radical individualism. You can go it alone. I think. Uh, there's an economic source to it. Robert Putnam, he's a social scientist from Harvard. He wrote a seminal book published in the year 2000 called Bowling Alone. And what he found is in the Western Hemisphere, in more affluent areas, as financial capital ratcheted up, social capital diminished. As we got more resources and more stuff, we became more isolated and more individualistic. I think there is a technological root to this idea of going it alone. Well, we've got untold technology at our fingertips. I think of even my lifetime or what it was like when I grew up a kid and now the technology we have. Who knows in 10 years and in 20 years. Did you know the average person touches their smartphone 2,617 times a day? I'm gonna be touching mine a lot today. I'm into fantasy football. Anybody else like gotta check it? Like, I'm playing some of you in the room. We have a new hope fantasy football league. So that's appropriate when you have to touch it for that. Everything else. <laughs> I, uh, I love millennials. You take a lot of heat. We're so glad that you're here. It's uh, in a tough historical moment, millennials. Um, but millennials are the most connected generation ever. Uh, millennials, 40% of you are perpetually online. You're never not online. And yet, I bet you can guess what the loneliest generation is. We're more connected, right? We have friends everywhere, and we're more lonely and isolated than ever. I think, of course, we're in a church. There's a spiritual function to this. There's a spiritual root system to this idea we can go it alone. The very definition of sin given again and again in the scriptures is going our own way. Going our own way. The great church father, Augustine, Describes sin as being curved in on ourselves versus being the gospel, right? It renews us and curves us out. It unfurls us uh, for the world. We are not meant to go it alone. I think we can see that. Like, how's it going when you look around in society? People are, have way less friends, way less close friends. They're hosting at their house way more. Fewer people know their neighbors Whatever barometer you want to use to study how we're doing in a communal belonging sense, it is down and to the left. It is getting worse and worse and worse. We're the most depressed, anxious, sad, despairing country probably in the history of humanity. Not to say there's not a lot of good things about our country, hear me, but we've got to grapple with that reality as well. Of any country on the face of the earth, we're bound and determined that we can go it alone I would put forth to you that it's not working. Uh, this, uh, this figure has become our national hero. You may know him back in the day. Like, <laughs> for those of you who are young, that's the Lone Ranger. 
It's a, this idea of like, pull up your own bootstraps, you can do it, I don't need anybody. It's not working. It's not working. We're not meant to go it alone. I, uh, I, I'm, I'm heartbroken because I see the church, and I'm part of this, I'm not casting stones. I've been part of this American church thing for 30 years now as a pastor, so I'm all part of it. But as we look at kind of the church over the last couple of years, we're like, oh, I don't know how that's going. I think part of it makes me sad, and my hopes for changing, uh, is that the church has kind of gone along with this mentality. We begin to design ourselves the way we do church around this mentality of going it alone. You can now come to a church like New Hope and other churches. Uh, you can park your car, and you can come in, and you can like do the big sidestep to avoid the extroverted greeters and slip in the side door <laughs> and grab some coffee and sit in a row and maybe hum along, maybe tap your feet, whatever, to the worship. You don't even have to sing. Listen to somebody like me run their mouth. Maybe come to the communion table and then slip out early. Nobody does that. <laughs> Before you have to engage with another human being. Or now, I mean, really, all over the world, you can attend church online. And one, for those of you online, there's many good reasons. You might be traveling, you might be ill. There might be things going on. So I just wanna say that. I don't wanna shame anybody. We got a lot of people that watch online but it's not the real church experience. It just isn't, and we've kind of designed everything so people are like, we've become going to church instead of being the church, and it's killing us. I've been reading a book and recommending it to all my pastor friends called The Great Dechurching. It's really, really fabulous, and then I'll, I'll inject some hope in what I'm learning at the end of the message. But the statistics are startling. 40 million Americans have left church over the last 25 years. That's the biggest shift in American history more people have left church in the last 25 years than came to faith during all the great revivals and all the Billy Graham crusades combined. 86 churches in America close every single day. I know a lot of those churches, they're my friends, I know the pastors. There's never been a less appealing time to be a pastor, trust me, <laughs> right? So we gotta look at that and say, okay, does that mean we give up on the church? No, the church is the hope of the world, there's no plan B, but we have to take stock. And I think one of those reasons is we bought into this horrible idea that we can go it alone. We can't. We're not meant to go it alone. I, I am very, it's very natural for me, it's my natural tendency to want to go it alone. I am an only child. And a lot of you are like, oh, that explains so much. <laughs> All those stories about only children, they're true. They're <laughs> largely true. Uh, I'm also an introvert. Again, you know me, I'm your pastor, so you see me out there. I can do extroverted stuff and I'm fine. I don't think I'm too awkward with it. But when I refuel, I refuel in solitude. I can only take so much people. So I know, I know I've got friends out there that would feel the same way this morning. So it's my natural inclination to wanna go it alone. When I, I played a lot of different sports growing up, and when I look back now, it's interesting as I realize the sports that I was drawn to, the sports that I was best at were the individual sports. I struggled more in the team sports. When I started in ministry uh, at a church about 28 years ago or so, um, the youth ministry was flourishing. I was the youth pastor, it was growing. Kids were coming to faith and baptisms. But I, was, I didn't see it, but I was very isolated. I didn't think I needed anybody else. I thought all the other staff were dumb and they didn't understand things. And I thought all the parents didn't know what they were doing and I'd fix your kids. I know, I know. I was young and naive and arrogant. And I thought that I could go it alone. And I thought that I was doing really, really well. And my supervisor, 
uh, pulled me aside and had a very difficult conversation with me. And he kind of said, hey, you think you're doing well, you're not doing well. You're, you're not a team player. I had a friend at the time, a very kind friend, pull me inside and said, John, I love you, but you do life and ministry like you play sports. You gotta become a team player. And by God's grace, um, I, I, I was defensive at first and angry at first, but by God's grace and grace alone, I began to wake up to that fact and not want it. And I've spent the last 20 years fighting like heck every single day to move towards community because we're not meant to go it alone. We're made for community. We are absolutely better together. I know I recommend a lot of books uh, I like to read. I wanna recommend a a fantastic book uh, that argues for the value of community and against this idea of going alone. It's called The Bible. (laughs) So so you might have heard of it. Some of you might might read it. So I wanna take a minute uh, just to walk through and highlight a couple places in the Bible that has this value of like, you're not meant to go to low, and it says again and again, you're made for community, you're better together. It's from beginning to end. So let's start at the beginning. And there's two creation stories, Genesis one and two, set side by side. They don't contradict, they complement one another, but they're different and they serve different purposes. So you may know the story, even if you're not from the church world. So God uh, creates uh, the human, it says in Genesis 2-7, and feel free to follow along on your, in your Bibles, the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground. Not a man like you would think. So the word, the Hebrew word is Adamah, Adamah. And it, the best translation is not man. And it, you have my permission to just X that out. And ladies, you can definitely do that in your Bibles. It's the human God created the human. At this point in Genesis 2-7, God had not bifurcated the human. Uh, There wasn't two separate sexes yet. There was just the human. That's how it is. So God just created the human so we should all have connection to that. And if you remember in Genesis 1, God creates the human and the animals and the stars and the sea and the land. And he keeps on saying it is tov, it is good. Created the human, he said it's very good. So we think all's good, and then we get to Genesis 2, and God's looking around and checking out the human and says, well, (laughs) maybe everything's not good. And here's what we have. Here's the verse, uh, Genesis 2.18. The Lord God said, it is not good for the human to be alone. You hear that? If you get nothing else, get that. It's not good for the human to be alone. And so then God split the atom. Yeah? Yeah? Biblical, biblical dad joke? It took you a minute. God split the atom. All right, you'll catch up here. Everybody's waking up, getting the coffee. And then, then it's good, right? So, so it says that we're not meant to be alone. That Hebrew word uh, means to be cut off. It's used uh, when you would uh, cut off a, a, a limb of someone or a branch. That's what we see it in scripture. We're not meant as made by God and our creator to be cut off from one another. We're deformed if we are. We're not fully functioning in the way our creator designed us to function. Uh, we use that, that passage a lot for marriage, and it's appropriate for that, but it means way more. We're not meant to be alone. We see this in the plan of salvation. God called this man Abram, Abraham, and then it 
became a family, and then it became a nation with 12 tribes. Out of one of those tribes comes the Messiah, the promised one, so then Jesus emerges. And if you just peruse the gospel, just read the gospels, everywhere you look, Jesus is in community. Yes, you'll say there are those few instances where Jesus went alone by himself to pray. Those are exceptional. Jesus is always with people. I don't know how he did it. I get exhausted as an introvert reading the gospel. I'm like, how did he do this? He is the incarnate son of God. I mean, he, he didn't need anyone else, but he did. But he did. So he gathered all these men and women that just walked with him as his disciples through the gospels. And then, post-resurrection, sends his spirit and invigorates this thing called the church, which that's us. The word in the Greek means the called out ones. So in Acts, Luke is the gospel writer. He's given us a historical uh, representation of what happened. After the spirit comes, Pentecost, and inflames the hearts of God's people, as Carlos said, from all over the world, and they come together as God's people, Luke then gives us the passage that Carlos read so beautifully. And I wanna return to it. I want you to just look as you're, maybe, maybe you're just kind of listening in one sense before. Really listen, really watch. Go back to this passage. Wait, this is what the earliest followers of Jesus, before they knew enough to make mistakes and became knuckleheads like a lot of us, filled by the spirit of God, this is how they lived. Watch for the community. Do you see any going alone here? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. That word is koinonia. You may have it means to share everything together. And to the breaking of bread and to prayer, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, which was like functionally their church. And then on top of that, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all God's people. And 40 million people left the church. No. <laughs> and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is our hope. This is our mission, church. Koinonia, sharing everything together. Can, can you imagine? We are not meant to go it alone. We're made for community. We're better together. Uh, another powerful apologetic for community in the scripture is the lack of the singular. Read, your, read the Bible. Like, read it. It's super hard to find the word I. There's so much we and us. There's so many plurals. In the Greek language, not to get too nerdy, we don't have a proper way to translate a lot of the words. So one of the, one of the words you commonly see in your New Testament if you're reading in English is the word you. And here's our American individualistic mentality. When you hear the word you, you think me. It's not, it's almost always in the plural. Our friends down south have given it a shot. They use the word y'all. <laughs> y'all. <laughs> Terrible English, but it works. So try this when you're reading the scriptures. Try whenever you see the word you to put y'all in there. It transforms it. And eat grits while you do it. You know, I don't know. <laughs> so uh, think of all the one another's. There's 59 one another's in the New Testament. We've got love one another, honor one another, accept one another, be patient with one another, forgive one another, encourage one another, and greet one another with a kiss. 
<laughs> we're gonna pass on that one. But I think that's like the, that's like the fist bump, right? That's the, that, that'd be what, what the modern vernacular of, of that. Uh, we're not meant to go it alone, we're made for community. We see this in the, very, in, in, in the very Godhead. I was reading a book on the Trinity a few years ago and I came across this remarkable statement that has lingered with me. Um, at the very center of the universe, the author said, is a relationship. I was like, yes. Like, this isn't about the Trinity. It blows my mind. It's difficult for me to understand. I don't think we'll ever fully understand, but God is revealed in the scripture. It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three persons, one God. The very embodiment of love, God is love. They're in this continual relationship. The early church fathers uh, would, would use a, an analogy of a Greek wedding dance. It's called uh, uh, the perichoresis. The perichoresis dance starts, and you can go online, Google it, and you'll find these amazing dances. They do it to this day where there's three separate dances of these Greek weddings that start, and they begin to spin and spin and spin and spin and spin and spin. They get faster and faster and faster to where you stand back, and it just looks like one. And the early church father would call the Trinity the dance of love that we're invited into. God is relational. At the very heart of the universe is a relationship. It, next to where I, I, I do my morning uh, scripture reading and prayer, um, I've got this icon from this, this uh, Russian Orthodox artist. It's up on the screen there. And it's simply called the Trinity. Uh, Andrei Rublev is, I think, the artist. And it's a, it's a famous icon. Icon just means you see through it. You see truth through it. And I love it because he's trying to capture the Trinity. And I love that they're around this table and the, and the way it's framed and painted it's just invitational, just sucks you in. And I just want to enter that. And that is the invitation for all of us who follow Jesus, to enter the trying God's dance of love. It's community. We're not meant to go it alone. All right, if you're like, whatever, the Bible, blah, 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 John. Um, if you don't want to listen to that, just listen to facts. Just listen to facts. I did some research for you. The Alameda County study was a nine-year study of 7,000 people. That's, if you don't understand studies, that's massive. That's long, that's lots of people. And they were astounded at what they found. They found uh, people who had very bad health habits, lack of exercise, bad diets, but had community, lived longer than people who were in exceptional shape and ate well and had no friends. Someone summed up the study, it's better to eat uh, Twinkies with friends than broccoli alone. <laughs> there you go. You should work out and eat well too. Anyway, uh, the AMA, American Medical Association, affected, I don't know who signed up for this, 276 people with a common cold. <laughs> the ones who were strongest, the ones who fought it off the quickest, the ones that were least likely to pass it on were the ones who were in community. So you could sum this up that snotty people need a friend. <laughs> some people have referred to the age we're living in as the age of loneliness. Listen to some of these stats. Nearly 50% of Americans are lonely. More than one out of five Americans say they experience persistent loneliness. 13% of Americans said they have zero people who knew them well. A former US Surgeon General says, during my time, during my years caring for patients, the most common pathology I saw was not heart disease or diabetes, it was loneliness. It's quite possibly now the leading cause of death in America. It's shown that loneliness affects our health more than heavy drinking or obesity. It's more physically dangerous than smoking 15 cigarettes a day. 
It leads to increased risk of heart disease, cancer, dementia, depression, anxiety, insomnia, and drug abuse. It affects an impact on job performance, school performance, and the ability to have productive conversation with others. A, a study at BYU showed that loneliness and social isolation can increase the risk of premature death by 26%, and on average, persistent loneliness shortens life by 15 years. We aren't meant to go it alone. We're made for community. We're better together. I was reading some blogs a few years ago and I came across one by a therapist, a Jesus-following therapist in Colorado named Sam Jolman. And the name of the article grabbed my, my heart and my mind because I am a theologian, I love these things. It says, you need more than God. And I was like, oh, that sounds heretical. I wanted to try to read that, what's he saying? I wanna read a little piece of this. He's kind of recapturing and repainting, going back to that early scene in Genesis, what he thought it might have been like. And this is someone who meets with people for therapy in a professional setting and is an expert on that. Sam writes, a man walks along a mountain path amidst towering aspens and pines. The tree color here dances shadows around his feet. His pace is easy because he's really not trying to get anywhere. He closes his eyes and takes in a deep tug of mountain air. This is what he's here for, this smell, and these sights, and these sounds, and the company. Next to him is kind of a lumbering figure, three times the man's size. Ominous maybe to us, but clearly not to his traveling companion. The two smile and laugh like old friends as they amble along. They are engrossed in conversation, stopping here or there to discuss the things they see. A herd of elk feeding high on a far meadow, this or that wildflower, the smell of pine pollen in the air. They're clearly close friends, intimates, we could say. This is Adam and God in the Garden of Eden, as told in the storied origins of life in Genesis. Of course, infused with my Colorado imagination, God turns to Adam, you're lonely, Adam stops. There's silence between them for a minute and Adam looks at God, looks away. God continues, I get it, it's okay. Well, well, it's not okay. Is that what this is, Adam says, tapping his chest? Yes, God sighs, and it is not good. These words had never been spoken here. They would have been scandalous had they not come from the Almighty. How could something not be good here? Here is Eden, here is untouched paradise. Here is where everything was good. That's what creation knew. Adam could still recall the grin on God's face the first day they met and, and the, oh, this is very good that followed his smile. But now Adam's eyes swell with tears. He knows God is right, but he can't bear the ache it brings. And for the first time, grief is known in Eden. Okay, wait a minute, you say tears in Eden? I don't think they were tears of pain, so to speak, but tears of longing, and there's a difference. Like suddenly the desire was so strong and so yearning, it just spilled over. However Adam handled this moment, we know the perfect world was not perfect yet, and it's God's move. It's not good for you to be alone here. Let me do something about that. Okay, stop right there. Adam had God in paradise, like none of us have ever had God, with no sin and nothing to stand in the way of intimacy and vulnerability, no fear, no shame, no heartbreak, no angry eyes, no silent treatment. He never once felt distant from God, of course not. 
And they shared everything. There's walks and talks in the wild world, never ended, and I'm sure they shared long times of silence as good friends can. There was never a goodbye between them. Talk about a quiet time on steroids. He had God completely, and still, Adam was lonely and alone by God's own admission, which means God wasn't enough. Maybe you think that's heretical, Let's talk later if you do. But it's right there in scripture. God could have created humanity with a need only for God. Yes, but God did not do that. God created us and made us for community with one another. We are not meant to go it alone. We're made for community, we are better together. Uh, if you uh, don't like the Bible and you don't like facts, maybe you'll like nature. Let me use a nature metaphor. Our family was in Park City, Utah recently, and I, I'm a backpacker, I love to hike, so we were doing a lot of hiking, and that area of the country is renowned for its aspen trees. The quaking aspen, if you know the quaking aspen. Love, my favorite tree, bar none. And when you're in an aspen grove, you know when the wind kinda comes through and the leaves go, I kinda call it the aspen giggles. It's just so, so amazing. I feel like I'm like touching my foot into the world to come. So beautiful. You know, the largest organism in the world is the, called the trembling giant. That's it. It's an aspen grove about two hours away. I thought for a hot second to try to get in the car and drive to it because I've read about it for a long time. It weighs 6,600 tons. And some scientists think it's been around for 80,000 years. The aspen uh, cannot exist. You don't see a singular aspen tree. That's not a thing, at least not a thing for long. Aspens exist in groves, and underneath the soil, they are all connected. They literally communicate. They fire electronic signals. They're learning about this in real time. Trees are fascinating. I love trees. When a pest is nibbling on one end of the aspen grove, they secrete in leaves throughout the whole grove to send the pest away. They share water, they share nutrients, and when storms come, and they do, can you imagine how strong an aspen grove is? I've tried to like pull up like a mature sapling, you know, just, I can barely do that. Can you imagine a huge tree? Can you imagine this many trees? The strength? It's a beautiful example from creations that we're not meant to go it alone. We're made for community, we're better Together, what if the church was like this? Can you imagine what that would look like? Uh, I, I think that when you hear this, you're probably feeling a lot of things. So I don't know, I don't wanna pretend that I know exactly what you're feeling. Some of you are like, yeah, I'm lonely, I buy it. Um, help, and I appreciate that, and, and we'll, we'll try to. Some of you maybe are like, I, you know, I got it pretty good, I think I'm good. Like, I, I don't know, I think I can go it alone. And I pray that you'll repent of that, I really do. I've been there, I'm there most days. I think it's wrong, I think it's even sinful, uh, to, be, to be honest. So, but I think that most of us, when you're listening to me, I see a lot of like nodding heads, a lot of body posture. I can tell when you guys don't like what I'm saying. <laughs> I, I see a lot of agreement. Um, so why don't we do it? Why don't we do it? 
Why don't, why don't we move towards community? Why don't we cultivate community and spend time making friends and all that? Why are we, including the church, including followers of Jesus, getting more and more and more isolated and lonely and going it alone? Well, I think there's many reasons. I think I'll, I'll just hit on two briefly that came to the top of my mind and heart. One is time. It takes time. <laughs> we live in a, in, a, in a culture that one of our highest priorities is efficiency. Relationships are not efficient. You can't microwave them. They take time and steady, faithful investment over the days and the weeks and the months and the years. If you're privileged enough to walk through life with people who really know you, if you have some vestige of community, think who those people are. I guarantee you it's taken time. There's no shortcuts. So I think part of it, I think you're like, I don't know. I don't think I have time in my schedule. <laughs> Have you been listening to what I'm saying? I would challenge you, all of us. I am, I'm, I'm kind of very type A with my schedule every hour, every day. You may not be like that, that's okay. But look over your schedule over the last couple of weeks. Look at the weeks to come. How much of your time is devoted to you? It might be things that you think you have to do. Maybe things that you have to do. And then how, many, how much time is devoted to building? And I would use the word cultivating because I think that's what it takes, like a garden cultivating relationship with others, cultivating community. Move that, move, move, move the scale from less you and individualism to cultivating community. The second thing I think is even deeper. Uh, it's, I think I would be a bad pastor if I stood up here and said, hey, moving towards relationships with other humans is gonna be okay, you're not gonna get hurt. I'd be lying to you. That's, that's the thing in the room, isn't it? That's really the elephant in the room, I think. We hurt each other. Even with best intentions, we're broken. We're not fully redeemed. There's grace there and there's love and there's hope in Jesus. But you can't do life with other people. You can't be in relationships, especially real relationships, especially vulnerable relationships, and not get hurt. And that is so scary. And some of you are showing such courage today because you've been hurt by pastors, you've been hurt by church, you've been hurt by Jesus followers, and you're here. Kudos to you. Kudos, that takes so much courage. It's really difficult to do relationships. It's safer to just go it alone, and yet it's not. It's not. The best quote I ever read on this is by C.S. Lewis. I could probably say that about a lot of C.S. Lewis quotes, but I send this one in particular and probably reflect on this C.S. Lewis quote more than any quote. I send it to a lot of friends that lose people and lose animals and lose dogs. I think he's spot on. Lewis wrote this after marrying late in life to his wife, Joy, and she died. And uh, he, he wrote a book called A Grief Observed. It's a powerful book. And so this is what Lewis says. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you wanna make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable and impenetrable and irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. I think of that, that kid's story, Velveteen Rabbit. Do you know that story? Right? The Velveteen Rabbit became human when the Velveteen Rabbit learned the cost of love. 
think that's the truth of that book. Scary. But the opposite of saying, I'm done with people. And I get it. I get it. But where that leads is, to use Lewis's words, a living hell. It's a living hell. Here's the hope. I told you I'd, I'd give you some hope. Uh, that great de-churching book, on the second part of the book, after they go through all the things, and it's a really fascinating book, they say, okay, it's a couple pastors, it's like a, a person that, that, that uh, does surveys for a living, and they're like, here's what we've learned from the people. And this was very, very hopeful. Of the 40 million people that have left church in the last 25 years, the vast majority of them, when asked, said, sure, I'll come back. I'd come back. And that was shocking. They're, they're not like angry. They're not, it was usually slow. It wasn't any one thing. And then they said, okay, great, great. What things will bring you back? What like better preaching, better worship, better you know, kids program, none of that. Not that that's unimportant. I bet you can guess what it was. They said relationships. Like I need community. I don't have any community anymore. And if a friend invited me to their church, I'd come. Hear that? No shame, no guilt from up here, but just listen. I'm thinking about that myself. I, I, in real time, I texted some neighbors when I was reading that book and said, hey, do you want to come to church? And they, here's what they said, sure, when? I was like, ah, I'm an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> There's this deep desire in people. They're made for community. They know they're not supposed to go it alone. And the church and all of its brokenness is one of the last organizations on planet Earth, I truly believe this, that can bring people back together. If we're not knuckleheads, if we stay centered on Jesus, if we're humble and we point the spotlight on God and we serve others and break our lives for the good of the world, that's the secret sauce. The authors at one point I highlighted and you know, did this in my book, they said, I, they said, we plead with you pastors. If you're a pastor, we plead with you followers of Jesus just invite your friends to a good church and they'll come. And I hope this counts as a good church. Uh, D.L. Moody, he was a famous evangelist and he, someone came to faith during one of his, his uh, evangelistic meetings and he went over to his house and there was a fire and this guy was like, I love Jesus, I'm now a follower of Jesus, but church just kind of weirds me out. <laughs> I don't know if I wanna be part of church. And, and he goes, I think I could follow Jesus and not be part of a church. What do you think? And so D.O. Moody's looking at this blazing fire and he takes uh, the tongs and he reaches in and he grabs a, a red hot coal, one of them, and he pulls it out and he puts it right there on the hearth. And then, they just, and then he's just quiet and they watch it slowly as it dies out. The man's like, okay, I get it, good point. <laughs> uh, I... Uh, I wanna do something, you know, if you've been going to church here long enough, you know this, I wanna do something embodied to have you respond and then I wanna close this as we head to the table and we head to these awesome baptisms. But I hate, I hate, I'm trying to figure out in real time how to do less of this. I hate me talking and you nodding and just sitting there. So for a long time at New Hope, prior to COVID, we did this thing called meet and greet. And right now you guys are like, oh no, no he's not, no he's not. <laughs> I'm an introvert, I get it. I, one, I think it's a horrible name, but it goes back historically in the church, like for thousands of years. And this is what a lot of churches around the world do, and they do it when I travel, and it's so beautiful. Um, you, you go up to somebody, you get a minute, and you go up to somebody that you don't know, and it's called passing the peace. And you say, peace be with you. And then the person responds, and also with you. Because that's the heart of the gospel. Of Jesus we follow, Jesus told us 
that we're people of peace and that all is shalom and all is well. And we're reminding each other of that and physically using our bodies to do this. I wanna, I wanna uh, try this out. So a couple things. Uh, ex- uh, introverts, you cannot dive under the pews and uh, run for the exit. You do not have to go to the bathroom. I know you don't. Uh, so, and I gave you a one-minute timer because that will calm your, your hearts that are beating hard right now. You, you can do it. Extroverts, help them out. And uh, span out from who you're sitting with. You probably m- may know the people around you. And just find one or two people in the minute of the countdown and say, peace be with you. And if, they, if you're responding, and also with you. Can we do this? Yeah. All right, one minute, go get them, and we'll sit back down. Do not leave the sanctuary. You can, uh, Go ahead and sit back down. Go ahead and sit back down. All right, go ahead and sit back down. You guys, you did so good. Way to go. See, you got, you act like you don't like it. I know. Here is, uh, here is the, uh, the poster child for community. This, uh, this guy. This is, the, uh, this is the emperor penguin. And uh, I think penguins are so cute. Uh, when up, up where they live, it gets in the winter, it gets down to minus 43 degrees. And we know uh, penguins have huddled. Uh, we've known this for a long time because of pictures. Some huddles are as many as 20,000 penguins huddling. Uh, 12 penguins in one square meter. And so uh, scientists knew they were probably doing something with protection of the cold, but they didn't understand until they began to use time-lapse video. And they saw this remarkable thing that wasn't perceptible really to the human eye except for the time-lapse video. And every couple minutes, the penguins on the outside circle would do this. And then another couple minutes. And then you're like, what does that mean? Well, they're curling in, they're spiraling in, so that over the course of a couple days, the penguins on the outside, taking the brunt of it, were on the inside being protected. Told you, poster child for community. 
Our family over this last season, uh, year, uh, it's been probably the hardest year in our lives, probably. Uh, some of you know that. Sorry if I get emotional. Um, people that we love a lot have been hurt and some have died. There's cancer and mental illness and a lot of you are dealing with that. I'm not saying we're exceptional, but for the Rosensteel family, whoo, it's been rough. And as a public figure, my, my impulse a lot of times is to go it alone or to pull in. And our impulse, with the permission of our family members, was to appropriately push out and say, we need help. We need prayer. And so, you know, we didn't broadcast it, but as many of you heard and, and rallied, we put together this little prayer lesson. By the end, I think we had like 190 people on it praying for us. And prayer changes things. Prayer matters. And um, I can't tell you the beauty of community. The texts, the calls, the meals, the late night, how you doing? You came to mind and heart, we're praying for you. So stinking beautiful. I've never experienced it. So thank you, thank you for one. We're not out of it yet, so thank you. There was, uh, my friend Scotty Burns was here preaching a couple months ago, you may remember him, accent and all that. And you remember at the end, he did this cool thing uh, my wife and I were sitting up there, and uh, he's like, hey, everybody stand up, and then, um, you know, if you have something in your life going on that you need prayer for, sit down. And we were both just like, right down. <laughs> Didn't need to think about that. And, and so, you know, I'm the pastor here, and you're supposed to kind of put on the brave face, which I rarely do, but, you know, so the minute my wife and I sat, you know, we're, we, we grab hands, and we just begin to cry, begin to weep right up there. And then some of you that knew us well, that were sitting near us, you knew what was going on. And you came around us, like 10 or 12 of you. And then nobody was praying because everybody was crying. And the tears are the prayers, right? The tears are the prayers. I need that. I need that. We weren't meant to go it alone. We're made for community. We're better together. That's what the church is supposed to be at its most beautiful. And I want that for you. And I plead for you to move towards that. So if you're not connected, if you're just coming here and slipping in and slipping out, and you're not here for worship, you're not here for, you know, you go early, you come late, you're not connected, you're just sitting in a row, you're not in a circle, no shame. But you've got to make that first move. We're here. We're here. There's a million ways you can get connected. From serving, to being a life group, to being enrooted, to on and on and on. Today's an opportunity to stay and have a meal, to rejoice in these baptisms. So if that's in you and you don't feel like you're connected, let us try to help. And so you can go after the service, out to our info desk table, Dina's there, we will help. You can't go it alone. Don't think that you can. God have mercy. We're made for community, we're better together. And we're gonna illustrate that as we do every, every week here at the table. And uh, love it, it's the most important thing we do because the scriptures say Jesus is present. I don't know what that means, but I like it. Like we need more present Jesus. And so uh, you know, you'll, you'll come up and, uh, and the person serving will take you through it. And, 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 and I love it because the very name of it is communion, <laughs> right? It's like, that's what we're talking about. And there's a past element to it, we're remembering that our only hope is God's grace, our only hope is the work of Jesus Christ, amen? And there's a present element that we right now are the church of God. 
we're called to reenact the story. And there's a future element that all the prophets say, what will the kingdom come look like? It'll be a feast. It'll be a feast. With Jesus at the head of the table, I hope I'm seated near the desserts. It's gonna be incredible. And we're rehearsing for that day as well. That's the beauty of what we're doing. And so because of our collective service today, uh, we've got our standard four tables here. We've got a table in the back of the room over there by the Crawfords, hey guys. And then we've got one table upstairs now for you who are grumpy that, that, you know, why do you make us come downstairs? We've got a table for you upstairs. I'm not sure if that'll persist, but this Sunday, you get it. So this is gonna be awesome. Um, We get to come to the Lord's table and then like the early church shortly, very shortly, we get to be released to go have a meal together. That's what the early church did. They ate together and had the Lord. It was just combined. So I'm so excited about that. And I think there's snow cones. <laughs> and then right after we do the Lord's Supper, we have nine people being baptized. Is that not cool? So God is good. God is good. So when you're ready, uh, come forward to the tables and your servers will take you through and then we'll sing one worship song and uh, we'll do baptisms and one worship song, right? All right, great. Come forward.